Welcome to Engineering Fields of Dreams podcast. We're here to share stories and professional experiences of engineers across disciplines and let you explore the amazing world of engineering. Each episode, you'll hear inspiring stories and advice from engineers, allowing you to learn from their successes and experiences. Whether you're an engineering student, a veteran engineer, or just curious about engineering, we invite you to join us and explore the amazing and ever-changing world of engineering. Welcome to this episode, Engineering Innovation, with our guest, Aaron. Thank you for being here today, Aaron. Would you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Aaron Wiest. I have a bachelor's in mechanical engineering from Santa Clara University. After that, I went to Stanford for my master's in mechatronics in their smart product design lab. From there, spent six years at HP, 13 and a half years at Nike after that. Rivian for two more years, and now I'm working on a wearable robotic system to provide therapy to kids that have difficulty walking with an emphasis on cerebral palsy. I probably accidentally just shared how old I am, but that's that's what happens when we get some experience. Yes. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast, and I'm really excited to talk with you today. And ironically, I saw a Rivian on the road for the first time ever today in Tucson So when I was driving. So I'd never seen one in in, in the wild, so to speak. Excellent. They are phenomenal vehicles, but I am mildly biased. Yeah. Why did you choose this career? Honestly, to start off, it was cars, which then maybe brings us full circle to Rivian. But in high school, I was really big on cars, how they work. Figured out pretty quickly that engineering is learning to learn. And then you develop a really important spidey sense, for lack of a better term, for how things work. You develop critical thinking, creativity, problem solving. These are things that apply well beyond mechanical engineering or engineering in general and really help you throughout life situations well beyond your career and your job. And so that that really kept me in it. But the short answer to your first question is cars, That it, my, it, my excitement around those. I remember your interest in Alfa Romero's. <laughs> yes, that was my first car. I, I started washing dishes at a convent when I turned 14 to start making money to buy that car. It was a bit of a train wreck, but it was mine and I loved it. Yes. And I assume that through being in different companies, you've had the experience of seeing different ways of problem solving in those different industries that you've been in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and what's often the case is these the problems require both depth and breadth. And that's one of the things I found is really important in my career. And one of the things I enjoy most about the education I have. And I've been heard it referred to as a T-shaped person where you can go pretty wide and broad and think about different areas of expertise. And then when you need to, you can dive deeply, making that center stem to the T. So it, it, it's a great description of what I've aspired to be throughout my career. And what is one thing that you know now that you wish you knew before graduation? This was a hard one. I, I thought of probably 10 things, but I narrowed down to interviews are two-way streets. This is something that I think, particularly as college students, we focus on getting the job. We focus on impressing the interviewer and making sure they understand that we're a great candidate for the role. The mistake I made, and I, the mistake I've seen lots of people make, is they don't understand that it's as much an extraction of information as providing information. You want to understand and learn about the culture of the company. You want to understand the industry that they're in. You want to understand everything that will be expected of you. 
to make sure it's a good fit. I think where sometimes at least the presumption I had coming out of college was that I would be lucky to be, to receive an offer from a company. But in fact, you have to look at it both ways, where the company is lucky to have you if and when you're a brilliant fit for the role. And if you're not a good fit for the role, that's completely fine. And so our goal during interviews should be understanding that it's a good fit culturally and both technically uh, what you want to do. And then make sure you spend the time and prepare before your interview to come with really solid questions that make you feel solidly comfortable on what exactly the role is. For sure. I agree a hundred percent. And actually that's a lecture I'm going to be giving in about four weeks. You summed it up really well. I think you're exactly right that the undergraduates don't actually see it as an opportunity to really realize if there is a fit. I think especially if they get to do an on-site interview, that walking around the offices, you can really get a vibe for what the workplace culture is and, and get a good, a good idea of if it's going to be a fit. And I told my students just last night, that's a great question to ask at the end of the interview. Like, what is workplace balance like? Absolutely. You know, what are your company's values? How, how do you live those values? There's ways to really extract information, as you said, that can really help you make a decision. And what is a good fit for you might not be a good fit for your other engineering friend in the program. So it's really about figuring out what is going to work for you. And I also tell them that sometimes that might not be the highest offer. Looking at opportunities for growth and advancement, mentorship, there's other qualities that you can extract in the interview to make the decision on fit. Absolutely. And one of the things I would encourage, and in fact, I encourage both sides of the table to think this way, that the questions shouldn't be leading in such a way that it sounds maybe perhaps as a negative if you answer in a particular way. So open-ended questions like, what kind of manager do you prefer? And then, you know, what sort of work environment are you motivated by? What demotivates you? And this isn't saying, will you work hard for me? Are you going to do well at the job? Rather, you're just asking cultural questions, saying what what motivates this person to be the best that they can be? And then when you learn that from the candidate, you can match the candidate to the culture of your company and then invert that. Ask the company, what sort of candidate will be most successful here? They may answer in any numerous ways. And it, there really is no right answer, but there's a right fit. And that's really the piece that it's not a whether you pass or fail the question or whether the company passes or fail the question. It's really about finding that match between the interviewer and the interviewee. Mm -hmm. And I think too, sometimes there might be a misalignment where there's like a company culture fit, but maybe not a hiring manager fit. Ah, so. And that sometimes you might get into a job and then find out that there's a non-alignment, but that doesn't mean necessarily you have to leave the company, maybe explore other opportunities at the same company because you feel that there is that culture that you want to be a part of. I think especially in larger companies compared to smaller companies that um, you would have those opportunities. Absolutely. My, my wife told me a quote the other day, people quit a boss, they don't quit a job. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think while that's mostly true, it's not entirely true, of course, like anything, it's not necessarily black or white. And your comment's really important because finding mentors that aren't necessarily in your reporting path so that you can understand that that 
landscape of other management within the company or other opportunities that may exist within the company is a really important thing to spend your time doing. Even if it's nights and weekends, take people to coffee, uh, make sure you're getting to know other folks within the organization so that you can find that good fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love your example of coffee time because I think there's a lot that can be learned like in those side conversations and like people are putting their guard down a little bit mm -hmm. and maybe not trying to position themselves necessarily. It's just like we're talking over coffee. And you can learn a lot. And I think especially when you're like in an environment where there's some senior engineers around the table, especially mm -hmm. the junior engineer, you should just be like a sponge and suck up that knowledge that they're just freely sharing as they riff about stories of the company history and their experiences. Yeah. Love the phrase, be a sponge. That was a Nike maxim when I was there. Oh, really? It, it, it's a phenomenal piece of advice that you can not only be a sponge from a technical and, and skills point of view, but just at reading the room, understanding the interactions, how certain personalities like to interact. Those sorts of skills are not often taught in engineering programs, but they're critical skills once you get into the workplace. For sure. And some of those war stories actually are what my next question is. Can you recall a challenging professional situation and what did you learn from it? I can recall many. It's a bit difficult, once again, to choose. I think probably the most fun one to talk about was the the Nike Plus fuel band. I was in my career at Nike and one of the designers put up an image of an impossible product. It was infinitely thin. It was curved. And I think it was around LeBron's wrists at the time. It was always on. It had a bright display. It measured everything. And I was the product development team. It was a very new organization. We were just getting started. And, and so really the problem or the challenging situation there is it's easy for engineers to look at something like that and say, can't be done. That's too hard. And what separates, in my opinion, engineers that I love to work with and I'd love to hire, frankly, are those that don't have that initial reaction of no, or I don't know how. Actually, I don't know is okay. But the initial reaction of no, can't be done should re be replaced with curiosity, mm -hmm. interest. How, I don't quite know how to do that. In fact, it looks impossible to me, but I'm going to sit back and think about it and I'm going to learn what the intent is. What's the vision? Separate the literal from something that's a possible. And that's something often engineers can struggle with. Mm -hmm. And so in, in my case, that, that mix of having to solve all of those different problems with that heroic inspirational image and not go to my instincts and say no, but really learn the intent behind it became a very successful product. Yeah. And I think you're probably familiar with the five whys and have heard about the five. Absolutely. And that's my reaction to that story is why do you envision it this way? Okay. So why does it need that? And trying to dig deeper in, as you said, understand the user story of, of what they're going at. And that sometimes I think as an engineer, you, you could have a product manager present an idea like the that concept that's like really impossible to do, but to understand the why of what they want, mm -hmm. because sometimes you might be able to say, there's this total other thing we could do, this total other sensor to use the fuel band analogy. Have you thought about this? And they might not have even had that idea, um, but like serving as a consultant and having that conversation can lead to better engineering outcomes in the end. 
Absolutely. And I, and I would even add to that, it will lead to better engineering outcomes, but also better product and consumer outcomes. And that's where the interface between industrial design and engineering is somewhat famous for being a bit contentious. Mm-hmm. In the fuel bands case, the designer, Jamie and I, while we had certainly our debates, it, it's very important to me. And I think it's really important for engineers, especially coming out of school today, to realize that design is the, they are the people who make the products phenomenal. It can be the most incredible technology, but sometimes the consumer doesn't care. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Nike Plus iPod, there was some incredible RF design in the sensor that went under your foot. Mm-hmm. I had people, one. Yeah, it's a, it was a great product. It was what I worked on a long time ago. But nobody cares that there is an incredible RF design under your foot. They just care that the thing is super simple, goes in your shoes, and it works. And, and so sometimes the best engineering is invisible, and it mm-hmm. isn't celebrated because you did such a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. And so our ability to separate the cool factor of what we do in design with the experience of the product is an important lesson that I learned throughout, particularly my Nike career. Yeah, and there's a Steve Jobs quote that I've always loved is sometimes the consumer doesn't know what they want. Mm -hmm. And when you ask them, they wouldn't tell you they want it. But if you deliver a great product that the technology is invisible to them, they'll really appreciate it. With the FootPod, not having difficulty syncing it with your phone, that is not like a celebrated feature that you would see in commercials. But it's something that they could really appreciate and they wouldn't necessarily think about asking for it. Absolutely. And my experience is that asking is usually the least informative. An example, when I was working on innovation for Nike basketball and Brand Jordan, I visited a lot of the skills academies for up and coming basketball athletes. And if you ask them, what do you want out of your products? What do you want out of your shoe, for example? They want to score and get into the NBA and get a great sponsorship deal. That's what they want. They want to be phenomenal at their craft. What they don't know is that if they have better foot to shin alignment at the ankle, they can put more power into the ground and accelerate faster. That's, that's my job to, to look and observe and see what their limitations are and then find the engineering and technical solutions for it. But they would never have said that to me exactly. uh, as an athlete. So observation is, in my experience, almost more critical than a direct dialogue sometimes. Mm -hmm. So to wrap this up, what advice would you impart to someone just starting their career? Once again, long list. I came up with five things. I'll be quick, I promise. First one is geography. When I came out of school, I chose a less desirable job and company to be near friends and family. But then friends and family left. <laughs> so the one friend moved to California to pursue his dream. Families changed and my dad had some health issues, so he had to move to a drier climate. So presu- making a career, early career choice based on a dynamic situation that you presume to be static, I think is, is something to think about. Money. If you love what you do, you'll be better at it. It'll accelerate and compound when it comes to promotions and raises. So that starting salary means a whole lot less than your performance. And so as you think about power of compounding interest and savings, same thing applies to your career. Experiment and prototype when you're early. Explore lots of different roles. Have coffee, just as we described, with folks that have different, adjacent, or even completely different jobs. Do a lot of exploration work. And then we talked about cultural fit. That is the number one most critical thing that I would encourage people to 
measure or define an opportunity as it relates to their career. Make sure that cultural fit is there. If it's not there, it doesn't. the rest of it doesn't matter. Final one, don't expect anyone will manage your career for you. Take control of your career, but be humble. There are a lot of really great managers out of there. There are a lot of managers that struggle with helping people manage their careers. If you presume it will be done for you, it could be a, a, a big mistake. So highly encourage you to take control of your career. That doesn't mean walking into your manager's office and demanding a raise and a promotion. Be humble, understand what it takes, what the requirements are, and manage your career. For sure. I think that is all great advice. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me. We'd like to thank today's guests for sharing their professional experience and career advice. We appreciate their insight and taking the time to share them with our audience. To you, the listener, thank you for joining us on this journey and exploring the ever-evolving world of engineering. We hope we've inspired you to pursue your dreams and ambitions. Let us know if there are topics or fields you'd like to hear more about. Until next time, we wish you the best of luck on your engineering journey. Thank you.